This is a city in Central Africa. It's got the hustle and bustle of a large city, but many people that live here are from small villages, and it really has this sort of small town feel to it. Everyone knows everyone. You can hear the sound of donkeys trotting through sandy dirt. People are setting up makeshift shops along the street, mostly just selling something they've laid out on blankets. Kids are running and laughing. The little girls work to keep their head coverings from blowing off in the wind. These are familiar sounds for this part of Africa. It's been this way for generations. But recently, there's been a new sound echoing through the city. And what you think of this sound really depends on what side of a particular line you happen to be on. For some, it's the sound of freedom and new life. For others, it's a dangerous and unwelcome nuisance, a sort of threatening rumble sending shockwaves through what was normal. And no matter which side of the line you're on, this is not a sound you can ignore. Because although it doesn't seem like something that would upend lives, over the last few years, it's actually changed everything about life in this community. Let me just play you a clip of what I'm talking about. This is the sound of worship. These are people gathered together singing praises to a Jesus they knew nothing about only months before. And for a man named Bashara, this sound carries a story. It's the sound of miracles and murder, of loss and revenge and unprecedented hope. This sound represents a journey Bashara never intended to take, but one he would never take back. If you would have told me two years ago that this is where I will be, I would have never believed you. And even when this all began, I didn't know that people would die or that I would be in prison or that anyone would be healed. I never saw any of this coming. I never expected any of this. So what happens when a Muslim leaves everything to follow Jesus? What does it end up costing him? And how far is someone else willing to go to stop him? And what does any of that have to do with us here on the other side of the world? This is Maverick, a podcast where we bring you true stories of people who dare to go against the grain. And over the next eight episodes, we'll be telling the story of a man named Bashara and how God changed his life. There are a few things you need to know about Bashara right off the bat. First, Bashara grew up in Southern Africa, and that's where his family is to this day. But about two years ago, he decided on a whim to go visit his mom's relatives in Central Africa. He'd never met them and figured he would just stay for maybe a month or so. But this is where things ended up getting crazy for Bashara. And this is where our story takes place. He had made this decision in just a matter of two or three days. He said to his parents, I'm going back to the country where you grew up and I'm going to meet our family. That's Dan. He's been my point person on a lot of this. We'll come back to him often because Dan lived in the middle of it as everything was unfolding. 
He was a missionary in Africa until just recently when he moved back to the States. It wasn't this consultative process. He just said it and he did it. And he was on a plane four days later in this country he had never been to and he didn't even really know why he was there. The second thing you need to know is that Bashar's life didn't fit the sort of stereotypical African poverty motif. He grew up in a wealthy family. And not just wealthy for Africa. We're talking really wealthy. Like Bashar's family owned multiple houses in multiple countries. And he not only lived comfortably, but extravagantly. He used to go to the club and buy drinks for everyone there just to show off. He'd throw crazy parties and buy out concert venues and spend ridiculous amounts of money on things we don't need to detail. All that to say, Bashara had whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And along with being wealthy, his family was also important and very devoutly Muslim. Bashara is from one of the largest tribes in the country. And then within that tribe, he's from a really influential clan with a very important sultan. And then within that clan, He's from a very prominent family. And within that whole tribe, Bishara's dad is one of the most powerful and feared men. And the last thing you need to know before we jump in is that Bashara is a completely normal guy. He loved the movie Black Panther. He wore skinny jeans and a t-shirt. He was a Real Madrid fan. One of his favorite meals was hamburger and fries. He was just an ordinary dude kind of floating through life. Okay, right now, all that might seem like insignificant details, but just tuck them away for now. I promise they'll matter later. In the last couple months of 2018, Bashar was staying at his uncle's house. He had gotten a job he really liked working at an internet cafe. Around the same time, there was a guy named Luke who had come to the area as a short-term missions worker. So he was a friend of mine uh, from the States. That's Ryan. He's another person we'll hear from throughout this story. He lived in Africa at the same time as Dan, and even though they were with different missions agencies, they ended up working together. Okay, so back to the story about Luke. And he called me one time and he said, hey, I'm coming, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to see you. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? You know, Luke's coming. He doesn't speak French. He doesn't speak Arabic. Um, you know, he'd never been to this country before. He'd never traveled in Central Africa. So he just came, he visited, and, and he, he was doing, I think it was three days a week. He would meet and do a, just kind of a basic English course. Well, all that Luke had done was do his English class. He shared his testimony. And I honestly don't know if anyone understood it because he had to do it in English. And somebody with shaky English skills translated for him. And then he handed out Bibles to everyone. And all of those New Testaments found their way to a trash can or a burn pile or they were just left behind. All except for Bashada's New Testament. And that may sound like a sort of nonchalant decision, you know, take the Bible out of politeness and be on your way. Maybe bring it with you and throw it away later or something. But for Bashara to take the Bible home was actually a really big deal. And he knew the stakes. A few years earlier, while he was still in Southern Africa with his parents, he had been given a copy of the New Testament. And it didn't end well. I was on the terrace. My father was in his living room. I took the Bible and was reading it. My father saw I was reading in that book. He came out and made a problem for me. That's Bashara. It's not his actual voice. I should probably mention that in order to protect people, we've changed the voices and names of pretty much everyone you'll meet. 
But what Bashara just said is sort of par for the course with him. He sums up these really big and traumatic events with statements like, yeah, that was a problem for me. So I had Dan explain the problem. One day when his dad found him reading his Bible, he suddenly came out of the house with a knife, cut up Bashara. He uh, wound up cutting an artery and putting him in the hospital for about nine days. And from that point, there was something that happened in Bishara's heart. And he, he kind of said to himself, you know what, I'm not a Muslim. I don't know what I am, but I don't want either of those things. So this time around, when Bashara took the Bible home, he immediately hid it in his room. His dad wasn't even in the same country, but he really didn't want to take any chances that his uncle would find it. So it kind of just sat there for a while, until one day when he decided to read it. I waited till it was late and no one in my family would see me. Then I grabbed the Bible and started in Matthew chapter 1. I told myself, I'll read a bit and then stop. I got to a story and it was better than the one before. And then the next story was better. And the next, I stayed up most of the night reading. And that sort of launched Bashara into this habit of secretly reading the Bible every night. And after about three weeks, he had read through the whole New Testament. One night I had fallen asleep when, of a sudden, I heard someone talking in my room. The voice said to me, Bishara, it's time. Get up and believe in Jesus. I stood up, but my whole body was shaking. My room was cold, but I was sweating. All around me, my room changed. It became beautiful and had the smell of perfume. I said, I don't know the Bible and don't know Christian life. But in my heart, uh, I believed in Jesus. The day after that, things began. The day after that, things began. I promise I'm not always going to provide some sort of commentary on what Bashara says, but this tiny statement hit me like a ton of bricks. Because Bashara is secretly reading the Bible, he goes to bed one night, wakes up to a supernatural visitor in his room, becomes a follower of Jesus, and then says, the day after that is when things began. In my book, things already began. God already showed up in ways that I haven't ever experienced. And it seems like the precedent has been set. This is just the low-key norm that Bashara begins to expect from a walk with God. For me, dreams and visions are not the precursor to big things. They are the big things. For Bashara, they're just the beginning. Um, I was with Luke, and Bashara started sending messages on WhatsApp. You know, all this is going through Google Translate, so he's saying stuff like, Jesus is my God and, you know, I am, you know, only with Jesus. And then he started sending like these just kind of like goofy memes about like Jesus floating in the sky and angels around and stuff. So we, we really did had no idea what to think. And that's when, when Luke contacted me and said, I think there's a guy from my class who, who believes in Jesus. Would you be willing to meet with him? And I said, sure. So I went to the shop where Bishara was working and our first meeting, he was really happy. He had a smile on his face, and more than once he said, I love Jesus. I'd had experiences doing follow-up like this with single guys over the years and had had not so positive experiences, if I'm honest. 
the way that it often went was these guys were interested in talking about the word, interested in meeting one-on-one, -on -one, but were not interested in any way of other people knowing about that interest because there's so much at stake. And I had seen how getting in that kind of pattern didn't do anything to advance these guys' faith. And in fact, it was a faith killer. And so when I met with Bishar for the first time, I was happy to hear that he loved Jesus. And at the same time, I had had all those experiences swirling around in my head. And what came out in that very first meeting was, if you love Jesus, the road you're going to go down on is going to be harder than the one you're on now. Your life is going to get harder. It's not going to be easier, but it will be better. And little did we know, in a matter of like eight weeks later, his family was going to put him to the test. So things went on like this for a while. Bashara would meet with Dan and secretly read his Bible at night, and his family had no idea what was going on. Until one day when he got caught. I remember I was sitting in my room and praying. My family members saw me. They told my uncle, and he wanted an answer. What are you doing? Have you become an infidel? I wished I wasn't in that moment. I wish I didn't have to face him. But I knew what then had been telling me that if I was going to follow Jesus, it was going to be hard. I said to him, yes. I am a Christian. So he knew how his father would react if he found out, and he knew that if his family found his Bible, that they would tell his father. And that's exactly what they did. They notified his, his father, and that's when his dad ordered his uncle to kill him. Yeah, because the Bible's dangerous. This is Dr. David Garrison. He's a leading missiologist and author of several books, including his latest title, A Wind in the House of Islam. When people read it, you know, uh, especially as they get into the New Testament and they sort of follow the salvation story, they come to see that this really is God's way of salvation. So in the Muslim world, that's very dangerous. They don't want to lose people to, uh, to faith in Jesus because it changes everything. It's hard for us here in the West to see why everything has to change. Why can't the family just move past Bashara's awkward new faith and hold their tongues around the dinner table, learn to navigate the tension and hope he comes back to his senses? But it's not that simple, because to leave Islam is to leave an entire cultural framework. Such an all-encompassing worldview, societal structure, a legal system, economics, and it just pervades every area of your life. And it's very difficult to step away because your life and your livelihood and your ability to survive and thrive are all intertwined with those relationships. Someone described Islam as like a, a superhighway with on-ramps, all kinds of incentives and reasons to join Islam, but there's no off-ramps. Once you come on, they don't tolerate apostasy. And on top of the cultural implications, there are religious obligations that Bashara's family faces. According to Islam, they have a responsibility to punish him for becoming a Christian. Islam um, is not 
believe it or not, is not a bloodthirsty religion. Uh, when someone uh, turns away from Islam, there's a strong push to bring them back, to have them repent of their error and come back to Islam. But if they do not repent and come back, there is an injunction to put them to death. In general, when Muslims take a hard position against Christianity or against conversion, in their heart and mind, they're doing it for God. So there is a, um, a worldview that reinforces that idea of, um, you know, this is not just for my people, not just for my family, this is for God. And that's why a father is willing to have his own son killed, and why an uncle is willing to be the one to do it. Because for them, killing Bashara is about defending Islam and restoring honor. If they couldn't convince Bashara to recant, then the next best thing was to end his life. So, after Bashara's uncle got off the phone with his father, he pulled a pistol from his closet and put a silencer on it. He led Bashara outside to the courtyard. The family gathered around as his uncle put down two books, the Bible on the right and the Quran on the left. Choose one, he said. Bashara reached down and grabbed the Bible. And that's when his uncle lifted the gun to Bashara's head and pulled the trigger twice. On the next episode of Maverick. This is a 22, then you've got a 380, which is a little bigger, then you got nine millimeter, and you got a 45. Every time you press the trigger, there's an explosion. What was so kind of hard to swallow with Bishara is that it was one crazy story after another, after another, after another, after another. Like this breakneck pace of, <laughs> of amazing stories. Maverick is a Pioneers podcast. To find out more about the work they do, go to pioneers.org. Special thanks to our guest, David Garrison, and to Fis Akonga as the voice of Bashara. <laughs>